I knew we were in for a rough lesson when they started the Zoom by singing happy birthday. My friends had no way of knowing that that is one of Nola's biggest triggers, one of the first ways that we learn that she has sensory processing issues. After multiple parties where the blowing out of candles was accompanied by tears and screaming, we had started to catch on. And since then, we'd learned to adjust. Two days before this particular lesson, at her own party, she'd asked that everyone quietly say, happy birthday, Nola, so she could still have her moment, but no clapping, no singing, no sign of the emotions that rise up inside her and threaten to overwhelm her so easily. At that party, she had also opened up a fire engine red ukulele, the present she most hoped for. And her first step toward playing the electric guitar in a rock band, which, yes, one might think would involve people clapping and screaming for you. Does she contradict herself? Very well, then, she contradicts herself. She is large, she contains multitudes. When she opened it, I told her that we had our first lesson on Monday with some friends from Florida. And I knew she'd be nervous, so we talked about every detail of what she should expect. We looked at pictures of our friends Jackie and Mary on Facebook, and I made a point of showing her the pictures where they were playing in their band to establish their bona fides. I even warned her that they had this parakeet named Bebop in case he showed up in the Zoom, I tried to cover every possible base to prepare for any eventuality. We talked about how we would be learning this new skill, and it might be frustrating at first, but that's how we'd get better. And I say we because I had also bought myself a ukulele, an adult ukulele, that cost three times as much as that fire engine red ukulele because I thought maybe it would make her less anxious if we were playing together. I told her it was okay to feel anxious, okay to mess up, and ultimately it was just for fun, and then they started with happy birthday. <laughs> and she made the little groaning sound she makes when she's feeling uncomfortable. Mm. And it was basically downhill from there. When they taught us to strum with our fingers, she insisted on using her thumb. And when they encouraged us to play up on the neck to make the best and loudest sound, she said she likes to play over the sound hole. Every song they suggested, she sighed and said it was a baby song. But when they tried to just have us strum to a beat, she said the beat was too slow. And when they said, okay, you lead us in your beat, she groaned. For 25 minutes, she groaned and sighed and argued, and I blushed and coaxed and made apologies. And finally, we signed off, and she turned to me and said, well, that was good. <laughs> I didn't yell or scream or anything. And I lost it. That was not good, I told her. That was not good at all. You were rude. 
You were unkind. You didn't do anything they asked us to do. And I sent her to her room. And I yelled at her a lot more than I'm willing to admit to you right now. And I felt bad about it as it was happening. But I also felt furious and embarrassed and defeated and sad. Because in the month before that lesson, Nola had been sent to the principal's office at least three times that we know of which is like three more times than I went pre-K to grad school. And every day now, I would pick her up at school and I had to brace myself for whether one of her teachers would walk out with her to tell me she'd yelled at them or broken a pencil case or knocked down a bookshelf. And lately it was more days than not. And nothing any of us said or did seemed to get through, and none of us knew what to do next. So eventually I let her out of timeout that afternoon, but I kept my distance for the rest of the evening. And the next day I went to work and prayed and cried. It was almost 24 hours after the lesson that I finally really heard Nola's words. Well, that was good. I didn't yell or scream or anything. At the time, I'd interpreted them as like an attempt to preempt the trouble she knew she was in. But now playing them back, I could kind of see that look of real confusion on her face when I launched into my tirade and suddenly I saw the whole thing differently. This little girl who has been struggling for weeks with her explosive temper, with feeling overwhelmed and frustrated, who had thrown books and stomped on pencil cases, who had yelled and screamed at every adult in her life for the last month and a half, I had asked her to go into a situation we both knew would make her anxious. New people, new skills, they'd even sung happy birthday, first thing, and she hadn't exploded. She hadn't thrown her ukulele, she hadn't screamed or yelled or anything. She groaned and sighed and sent all of the signals that she was feeling uncomfortable she'd kept her cool enough to get through the lesson. She'd done what everyone had been asking her to do for weeks, and then she turned to her dad to see if he'd noticed, to see if he was proud, and what she got back was the message that it wasn't enough. And now with lower expectations, it did seem pretty good, her behavior, mine seemed awful. A surprising amount of the Bible is about this, about what standard we're held to, what's good enough, or how to be good enough. I guess maybe that's not surprising. A lot of people look to the Bible to figure out how to be good. Probably also not surprising if you know anything about him is that Paul says you can't be. You'll never be good or you'll never be good enough, I'll never be good enough. In his letter to the church in Rome, Paul quotes what is otherwise a very un-Paul book, Ecclesiastes. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who has understanding, there is no one who shows kindness, there is not even one. Which sounds like a 
bit of an overstatement, but Paul uses it to make the point that he's always trying to make. No human being will be justified by deeds prescribed by the law. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. In other words, if I'm coming to the Bible hoping to justify myself to be told I'm doing a good job, that I'm meeting God's expectations, if I'm trying to follow the rules well enough to be worthy, to be acceptable, to feel okay, I'm going to be disappointed. I will find that I've failed, that I've missed the mark, that the expectations are so much higher than I anticipated. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Forgive someone 490 times. Do not lie. Do not covet. Do not worry. The bar is impossibly high, unattainably high. By that measure, no one is good. No one is righteous, not even one. And Paul's point is that that's by design. God gives us these high standards so that we'll recognize how incapable of meeting them we are, how sinful, so we'll understand our own brokenness and know how far we are from who we're meant to be. I don't know about that. In my experience, holding a beloved child to an impossible standard is not that great for anyone. And in my life, it's more likely me who's making the rules for when someone will finally be worthy, other people and myself. It's, it's me with the unreasonable expectations for what makes someone lovable and God inviting me over and over and over again to lower them. That's the place where Paul and I agree. And it's the one part of this whole, like, no one is righteous, not even one thing that is surprising that it's actually good news. That no matter who's the one raising the bar above you to unreachable heights saying, when you can get over this, then I won't be disappointed. Then I won't be embarrassed, then you'll be okay. Whether that voice is your father's or your pastor's or your own, God's voice is the one saying, fuck that. That's way too high. That's, that's way too much. Let's, let's bring the bar down a little bit till you can walk over it, till you can crawl over it, till you can roll over it in the middle of your temper tantrum. Let's just put the bar behind you already. Poof. Problem solved. You made it. A plus. Gold star. 10 out of 10. The place where Paul and I agree is that God has incredibly low expectations for you. In like the best possible way. I mean, you're a shining star. You're going to grow up to be president. But when it comes to being lovable, to earning God's acceptance, the bar could not be lower. When it comes to God believing you're good and worthy when it comes to being okay. Maybe it's true that there's nothing you could ever do to earn it. Maybe there's some value to realizing that, that it's impossible. But it's definitely true that you don't need to earn it. 
as Paul puts it, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are now justified by grace as a gift. It's the opposite feeling from what Nola must have experienced on that couch, turning to me to say, that was good. Having me say, God offers the feeling of working toward an impossibly hard goal for so long and getting to the end and finding out it was already yours all along. Thinking you had to work so hard and do so much and finding out, nope, nothing at all. You studied all night for a test and got to class and found out it was open book which I know at least one person is finding it very irritating right now that <laughs> I wrote it for you, not looking at anybody. Uh, that might feel irritating if you're one of the good ones, if you're one of the righteous ones, one of the kind ones who could do it all by yourself. It might feel like, what's even the point? Why did you work so hard to begin with? What does it even mean if it's so easy But if you're one of the ones acting like a little shit, ending up in the principal's office because you threw a pencil case and stomped on it and then tried to bring down a bookshelf, or one of the ones doing a shitty job parenting one of those ones, it feels amazing to lower your expectations, to settle for less, to find out that you're okay just the way you are and to let other people be. To come to the end of the lesson having worked so hard and find out it was never a test at all. It was supposed to be fun. Last week, my dad turned 65. When it was time for him to blow out the candles, I came to get Nola. People are gonna sing. You better go to the other room. No, I'm, I'm going to stay. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm a big kid now. We got to the last line before her face scrunched up in a scowl, and she started stomping and clapping and screaming the lyrics, and I picked her up, and I swept her away into another room to get her away from it. And I put her down gave her a big hug, and she looked at me uncertainly. You're not mad? I thought you were going to be upset. And I wasn't in the least. The whole scene looked different when I changed my expectations, when I lowered the bar for her and for me. We were both okay. I told her the words that I hope to hear the next time I do a terrible job as a parent. I'm not upset. I know this is difficult for you. I saw how you tried, and I love you no matter what. 